Like Brian said, we're going to uh, dive back into the story of Joseph uh, from uh, Genesis chapter 39 to 41. And uh, if, you, if you know me, uh, you, you're probably a little nervous at the scope of what we're going to talk about this morning. How are we going to fit this in uh, to the next hour and a half that, that I'm going to be speaking to you? I'm kidding. It's not going to be an hour and a half. And it won't feel, even if it is, it won't feel like an hour and a half. But it's, we're actually not going to go verse by verse in, in this, throughout, through this scope of Scripture because Brian did such an amazing job last week in covering, surveying this section of Scripture and covering some main points. What we're going to do this morning is we're going to kind of double-click or zoom in to this more of the middle section of the life of Joseph, where I think uh, there's some of the most practical, relevant, and life-changing truths, really one central truth uh, in the life of Joseph. But just kind of back up. For, by the way, if you don't have a Bible with you, we're gonna, we are going to read some of those scriptures uh, this morning. If you don't have a, a Bible with you, would you... Would you slip up a hand? We'd love to get one in your hand if you don't have one on your phone or, or uh, didn't, you didn't, don't have a physical Bible. And if you don't have a Bible in your home, uh, we, this is our gift to you. Hopefully not the, the only gift that we get to, uh, to endow to you, but uh, we would love for you to take this, take this home with you. So if you would, anybody need one? If you're like me, and you may be... Um, you may be familiar with, with the life of Joseph. We've probably heard, all of us heard a little bit about, uh, about this character in the Bible. But if you've been in church for a while, you've heard the story in different, in different ways. Uh, Joseph, his life to me is, can be best described, and this may surprise you, the way it, it initially hits me as I'm reading uh, this scope, this story, is it feels like it feels like a bad dream. Let's be honest. I know you're not supposed to say that about a Bible character. You're supposed to say victory and all things. We'll get there. But my initial reaction as I'm reading the life of Joseph is, man, this guy went through it like the ringer. There's a, a, lot, of, a lot of highs and lows. It, it reads like an erratic heartbeat. I mean, if you're looking at somebody who's just in, in the hospital and you see up and down. I mean, he starts off uh, with a bang, right? I mean, he's on the mountaintop, has this huge dream, we're drawn in, but within a few verses, what, his brothers turn on him, throw him into a pit, plummeting down into a literal pit, he's thrown into slavery, man, I'm caught up in it, How God, how's God going to work this out? Then he rockets back up into the palace this is, this is your survey of the story. And I'm like, oh man, goodness, that worked out great. few verses later, what happens? Tumbling down into prison. This is an honest story. I mean, just in, in a couple of chapters, he's been up. He's been down. By the end of the story, up, down, up. By the end of the story, I got to be honest with you. I'm kind of a wreck. I mean, if I were Joseph, just me, after having lived these highs and lows, the rocket, rocketing and the plummeting, I wouldn't, just being honest with you, I don't know that I would be worth much in the end. 
I mean, obviously things work out, and we know the rest of the story. Joseph ends up running basically the whole country. If it were me, if it were me, man, I'm dizzy, I'm traumatized, I'm waiting for the next plummet. Do you relate with, with me on that? I'm waiting. So maybe I got the keys to the kingdom, but w- when's the next thing? What's the next thing that's going to happen that's going to, and this is my mindset, or it's my mindset before I get what Joseph's got. What's the next thing that's going to come in and take everything from me? Because this is a roller coaster and not the fun kind. So I have some epic uh, dad fails in, uh, in my 20, almost 21 years of, of parenting. When we sit around uh, the Thanksgiving or Christmas table and we're talking about it, it invariably turns, the conversation with our, our kids turn to, you know, there's fun times and we've had some neat experiences and this vacation or that. But I feel it's happening. The walls are going to close in eventually, and they're going to start to tell stories about how I ruined some of those great moments. <laughs> and how I, and it, being a pastor, I have some, some therapy tools at my fingertips. So I end up playing both the traumatizer and the therapist for my kids in the things uh, that, that I did that either scared them when they didn't need to be scared or dragged them into things that they really I regret dragging him into for my daughter my my sweet beautiful wonderful daughter one of her traumatic but funny stories it involves a roller coaster she was so we were at SeaWorld in San Antonio she was way too young and way too small uh, to for me to convince her to ride a very scary roller coaster. But her brothers wanted to go. I think Rena, my wife, was uh, over at a, a hot dog stand, something. She, we needed her. If we were going to go on this roller coaster, we needed uh, Selah, my daughter, to go on the roller coaster as well. And she trusted me for the last time in her life <laughs> way too much to, to allow me to take her on this experience. She was too small to see what was going on, so she's behind my leg, and you hear the screams, but I probably covered her ears as we're snaking through this line. And uh, we, as we're about to get on the roller coaster, I lean down to her and I say, you know where the best place to be when you're riding a roller coaster? Yeah, I see some moms out there. The front, baby. <laughs> So we board, we board this roller coaster, and she's beside me on the front. <laughs> you know, the, the, the rail is on her forehead. And as it, as it leaves the little station and begins to climb the hill, she then sees the stratosphere. And as she's looking up, her eyes get huge. And click, 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 click. Midway up the first hill, she says, Daddy, I changed my mind. I want off. And she, used to, she hasn't experienced it yet. She just feels like this, is, this has become a bad idea. So as we come over the hill, she starts to scream 
and I guess it carries back because you hear gasps behind <laughs> and cry. It's, it's funny, but she, I don't think she's recovered. She cried and screamed the entire ride and not the funny. <laughs> I laughed at first, but then thought, I've done something horrible to, to this child. Snot flying in people's faces. And we found out she's got lungs. She can sing, but she, before she could sing, she could scream. But what she kept saying again and again that just hurt my soul, why? I want off. Why have you done this to me? Even as we're, we're uh, disembarking, she's got my leg and she keeps looking up at me. Why? <laughs> why? I don't have an answer for that. That's, though, what I expect. This is just me. You may read it differently. What I expect Joseph to be saying to God. That's what I expect him to be feeling. Traumatized, dizzy, scared, done. And to be his, for his, whatever conversation, if he would even believe in the God who he thought gave him the dream in the first place, if he could mutter the words, why God? Why? But what's mesmerizing to me in this story is that's not his reaction. I want you to be drawn into this. You know enough about it. We're going to read some verses in a second. That's not his reaction. If you were to take the backdrop off of Joseph's story, the highs and lows, the stratosphere and, and the pit, the plummet. If you take that off and just look at his face, and if you looked at my daughter's face, you'd know what's going on the whole way. If you just, if you just zoomed in on Joseph's face, look at his eyes, he's the same. You know this, those of you, you heard the survey last week. Look at his face. He's the same. On the mountaintop, in the pit, in the palace, in the prison, and when he's running the country, Joseph is the same. His, his temperament's the same. His emotion is basically the same. And no matter where he is, he functions basically the same. He's the, he's the same guy. He has the same interaction, both with his circumstances and with his God. So as I'm watching his face, as I'm zoomed in on his face, this is just me reading. I'm, I just, I'm not trusting of him. I'm a little, still a little cynical, but as I'm looking at him, I'm intrigued. You are too. I see your face. That's my, as my, I'm processing this as I'm reading the story, and I'm like, that would not be my reaction. But I am so jealous of his reaction. I'm, I'm, caught, I'm drawn in. And I want us right now to be drawn into that and to ask the question, what does he have that I don't have? What does he know that I don't know? Why is he able to remain Calm. I think the New Testament uh, scripture that 
that sums up what Joseph embodies is Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. It says, I think it's 11 to 13. It says, I've learned, Paul says, he says this from prison. If you know the book of Philippians, he's in prison. So there's, there's a correlation between these two characters of this book and Joseph. It says, I've learned to be content in whatever circumstance, whether I have plenty or whether I have want, I have learned to be content. For I know that the Lord is with me. Okay. There's the correlation is this, and I'm I'm still for me, I'm still cynical. For I know the Lord is with me. But still, I'm riding this roller coaster and down. But Joseph, he's not on the roller coaster. And I think what he offers us. I'm going to zero in on that phrase here in just a second. The Lord is with me. He offers us a chance to get off of the roller coaster. Right? To, to be, as if I could sum, summarize his experience, he, is, he appears to be unaffected by his circumstances. He's not on the roller coaster. And I think what he offers us is a sense of insulation from the things that are going on around us. And that key phrase is key. It's the theme, the Lord is with me. Let me read your mind for a second, though. That feels so Christianese. It feels so cliche to say that. Which we'll say, God be with you. In the South, God bless you. Go with God. We'll say at the end, people will say at the end of worship services, go with God. Or as you're leaving my house, go with God. God be with you. Can be so trite and cliche and meaningless. Let's just be honest. But is pivotal for Joseph. This, that, not phrase, but reality is a defining reality for him, that God was with him. So, in this is where you, you'll need your Bible. And jumping into chapter thirty-nine to forty-one, that phrase or that reality, in one way or another, appears eleven times. So this isn't just one verse. Oh, God was with him. <laughs> How cute. 11 times it's either said or discussed in these chapters. So this reality of God being with him began in Genesis chapter 39, verse 2. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man in the house of his master. So he's, he's now, he's been in slavery. God being with him gave him success. Verse 3, his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. The Lord was with him. Verse 5, from that time, from the time that he had made him an overseer in the house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptians' house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had 
in house and field. Verse 9, he is not greater in the house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you. This is Potiphar's wife when she tries to seduce him. And he says, leaning back into that reality, how then could I do this wickedness? Listen, God is with me. How then can I do this wickedness against the God who is with me? God is with him. Verse 21, but the Lord, he says, was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. So you lean into this for just a second. He's in slavery and says that he finds favor and he finds success. He's now in prison and he finds favor and success in prison. One of the things you'll see in the life of Joseph is the favor, the blessing, and the success are just as real for him in the pit, in the prison, as they are in the palace. In fact, even more so, the favor of God is more prominent and at least uh, highlighted in the pit and in the prison more so than when he's in the palace. It's kind of take for granted. Okay, yeah, he's doing great. He's a successful guy. But it highlights the favor of God in the pit by his presence. This is the presence of God. God is here. God is real. And with that, or because of the realness of God, he finds favor, blessing, and forgiveness. Or success. The Lord was with Joseph in verse 21 and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. The keeper of the prison in verse 23 paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. This, this is another thing, a total side point about sharing the gospel. When you find favor in the presence of God, that becomes evident to the people around you. There's, there's even purpose in this and why he would be in those places. Like He experienced the presence of God in such a way that it became, so he's not out there preaching, man. He doesn't, doesn't have a Bible. He's not doing you know, a small group study with the other prisoners on Tuesday and Thursday. Like The favor of God and the presence of God is so evident around him that it preaches through. This is again and again. Master sees it. The guards see it. Ultimately, Potiphar sees it. The presence of God is so real around him, and it changes how he experiences the highs and lows. So we're going to dive into this, but it that, that reality changes the way he experiences the circumstances around him. Chapter 40, it's got the bakers that want him to interpret a dream. He says, we have dreams and there's no one to interpret them. It says, Joseph said to them, don't all interpretations, and you can almost, you can almost see him sitting in a chair, don't all interpretations belong to I'm paraphrasing, but belong to God. Oh, God is here. 
the, the, the reality of the presence of God. Verse 16, Joseph said to Pharaoh, it's not in me when Pharaoh asks him to interpret a dream. It's not in me. God will give. Points to the presence of God. In verse 28 of chapter 40, it is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown me. Points to the presence of God. Verse 39, 38 and 39. And Pharaoh said to the servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? Look at the ebb and flow. The presence of God is so real with him. It changes the way he experiences his circumstances. And his reaction to the presence of God preaches. It becomes evident to the people. Take out the success. Detach yourself from that for just a second. This isn't a, a bargaining chip with God. It's like, I'm just I'm going I'm to be okay, and then you're going to take me out of this circumstance. The way he experiences his circumstances, because of the presence of God, preaches. People are drawn. I want us to be drawn in. They're drawn into that. It's so evident that God is real, not to him. Grab this for a second. It's not kooky to them. You see that? It's not weird. Like, oh man. Like, he's got all this trauma, but he just pretends like it's not happening. No, no, no. It's evident that God is with him. That evidence is because of the way he experiences his circumstances. Is that reality when you look at the fact that the presence of God so real to Joseph? That reality changes two things for him. This is where, if you want to take notes, we start bullet pointing down. Changes two things for him. God was so real to him, it gave him, first of all, constants in the midst of unpredictable circumstances. Constants. Hebrews chapter 13, and a couple of times through Hebrews says, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and I love the way he says it, yes, even forever. So earlier in, in the book, it began that theme that God doesn't lie. He's always constant. He doesn't contradict himself. The Old Testament God and the things that he did then is the same God that we serve today. It's, he's, he provides constants. If God is here with me, then he's that fixed point. We'd say, if we want to be goofy about it, we'd say the lighthouse as the waves are crashing around, I'm fixing my eyes on this. Even Hebrews says that. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Everything's crashing around. I see the constant. He's available, and he's the same no matter what's going on around me. But that could just feel like God is a chaplain to me. Like as everything is, as I'm being beat up by my circumstances, I have the available hand of God, and he says, I know, sweetie, it's hard. There's something to that. I want God to be available. I want him to console my soul. But he's more than that to Joseph. This is where I really want you to see this. This is where the, we land on the major, major reality of Joseph. God is present. 
He does offer consolation to us. He does hold our hand. He is a friend. And I love that God is my friend. But for Joseph, you read these verses, God is not a present friend to him mainly. God is in charge. No matter what's going on. The second thing, his presence offers him confidence, not because he's a friend, but whether he's in the pit, in the palace, in the prison, or running the country, God is there and he is king. I'm going to back, offer a, a little of advice here. God is in charge for Joseph, but he does not see God's in chargeness, his kingship, as causing the things that happen to him. Someday we'll visit, have a hospital visit, and I'll, I'll be with you, and I'll, I'll, we'll dive deeper into this. Yes, God's sovereign, God is in control, but Joseph, that didn't change the fact that bad people made, did things that, that didn't change the fact that his brothers were jerks. <laughs> jerky jerks and they threw him in the pit that didn't change the fact that these slave owners took him made cash off of human property and dragged that didn't change the fact that Potiphar's wife was a bad lady it was just bad bad all of a sudden say God made all of these things happen there's a whole nother lesson in this but that no matter what was happening, no matter all the bad people around him or the benefactors that could, if he had them at his disposal, give him the keys to the kingdom, he never saw those people as ultimately being in charge. God is present and he is king. And if he is king and he is present, he is with me. And I look past my circumstances to the one that is in charge. That changes everything. That ultimately, yes, they're bad people. Ultimately, crud happens, man. And will for all of us at different times in our lives, bad things will happen. We're not, we're not going to be dumb, weird Christians that say nothing's bad. There's bad stuff. But the fact that if God is in charge and he is here, wherever here is for you, whether you're on the mountaintop, in the palace, in the pit, or in prison, the thereness of God can change, did for Joseph, change absolutely everything. If, though, the king is not present, that's when things really come unraveled. If you think back to the dark ages, we have some teachers in the room that probably it's in the rotation. We talk about world history, the dark ages. The dark ages are, no, they don't call them dark because it was fun and great, <laughs> right? Dark ages are known uh, for uh, the plagues and pestilence and uh, just gross and horrible things happened through. Uh, those centuries. But at the center of all of, and this, I'm going to have a world history buff that's come up to me and say, this isn't true, but we're going to pretend like this is true. 
My sense in, in reading world history and knowing the stories, they make great movies, but it would be a horrible life, is that at the center of so many of those stories was the absence or the abdication of a king or queen. Those, those are stories. Those are the ones we make movies about. So you have the King, king Richard the 30th, <laughs> one of those guys, or Marie Antoine, whoever. The physical or mental abdication or absence of the king or queen sent the kingdom in a complete spiral. That's where so much of the chaos, the wars, and really the major thing is that things come unraveled, people experience unrest. These are two things, if you're taking notes. People experience unrest... First, it's where unrest, if you don't, if the king or queen is not on the throne, you experience anxiety and unrest. And secondly, there's a rush to usurp the throne. This is about to get fun. Usurp, in all those stories, there's, people are climbing the walls, man, and trying to get on the throne because the king or queen's not there. Somebody has to be in charge. We know that. That's, all of us feel that. Somebody has to be in charge. And if God's not present, if he's not king, then somebody has to be in charge. And there's two major usurpers to the throne in our lives when we don't experience the present kingship of God. The first is either, in, there's two in this, so it could be three. The first is we tend to believe that our circumstances control our lives. If God's not in charge, then the stuff that's happening around me, I'm, I'm just at the behest of the things that are happening around me. Or, this is where it's two, A-B, the, the people, the victimizers are in control, whoever that is. And you have your people, I'm sure. If, not, if God's not in control, then my circumstances are ruining my life. If God's not in control, then the people that are in charge of my circumstances are causing my circumstances, doing these things to me, they're in charge. The way we know that would be the third thing. And there's always more than one usurper, always. One unauthorized person gets on the throne, and then there's another one saying, all right, I'm going to have to stab you. There's always, in, but what our reaction, if our circumstances are in charge, if I'm a victim of my circumstances, if I'm a victim of the people around me, then I need to get, I need to get back on the throne. I need to change my circumstances. This is how you'll know that this is your reaction. If your circumstances or other people are in, in control, you feel unsettled, and everything in your life, this is, this is so extremely important. Everything becomes about you changing your circumstances or protecting yourself from them. This is the posture of a victim. If the king's not on the throne, I've got to get out of here. Or I've got to change this. I've got to get in control. All of your energy then goes in two, into two things changing your circumstances, and or protecting yourself. Look at, look at the posture of a victim. Everything that's happening, it's, 
the next thing that's happening. What was that? It's all about that. If the king's not on the throne, you're vulnerable. You're scared. You're a victim. Oh, I hate that word. It's a tendency in my spirit. When I hear the clip, 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 clip. No, why? I want off of this roller coaster. That is not Joseph. Once again, look back at him. He's such a mesmerizing figure. Look at him. He's not trying to get off of anything. He was already off. He is not trying to get away from anything. Very, there's only one statement in there where he, where he kind of bargains or asks. By and large, though, he, he's not trying to get out of the things that he's involved in, he presses into them. Like he's in full, he's not this, he's this. He's embracing his circumstances. He presses in. The, the word that I would describe, and this, this will begin our descent or our ascent. This is where I want you to land. Don't be a victim. You don't have to. That's, don't be. That sounds, you don't have to be a victim. You know why? Because God is king. He is present. No matter where you are. Joseph, that gave him total freedom. He was free. Wait a minute, but he was in slavery. You would have never known. (laughs) You would have never known he was in slavery. And that's what people are like. Wait a minute. You're in slavery. And he says, no, I'm in charge, buddy. I'm I'm free. Highs, lows, no matter where he is. Freedom. Freedom from, once again, if you're taking notes, say freedom from wasting his energy on trying to usurp the throne, change his circumstances, or feel like a victim. He's free from it. If, if all of his energy, and I want you to think about this, we spend so much of our energy in the pit and in the prison, so much of our energy protecting ourselves, wrestling against our circumstances that we don't have, the, we don't have anything left in it or after it. So much of our energy. What if we, live, what if we were freed from that and could then apply our energy in what Joseph does All of his energy, this is cool, all of his energy is spent on a few things. The first is being his full self right where he is. This, once again, this is my observation as I'm looking at him. Dude is living full. Pit, prison, palace, running everything. He's his full self. So, in unique, and we'll sell unique to you for just a second. We talk a lot about identity here at Grace because we believe that one of the primary things Jesus has for wants to give to you is an understanding of who you truly are and for you to live that out in every area of your life. But when I teach unique, 
I use a, a phrase, this is your, uni- your unique identity, who you truly are, is, and I, if, if you've been through unique with me, you can almost say this, who you are, truly are, in any room, at any table, in any relationship, facing any conflict, or any opportunity. Your full self, and stepping that out. Once again, you would never know that Joseph's in the pitter in the palace. He's his, he is his full self. Secondly, he's searching for the purpose of God where he is. If God is king and he is present, then God has me here for a reason. We say God doesn't make junk. He doesn't do junk either. God has a purpose, but I want to give you a caution. That purpose primarily cannot be to prepare you for the palace. If you're in the pit, the primary purpose of God, there's a big danger here, cannot be, okay, I'm learning a few lessons so I can get out of here. That's still the posture of a victim. God, yes, God has great things for you in the future, but Joseph is fully present and fully himself because God is king. God is king here, and if God is king here, he has things for me to do here, not just experience. Once again, this isn't all about me. When we know something about God, if you read the Bible through and through, God is always on a mission to redeem people. So what if I'm where I am to live my full self, the full expression of me for the redemption of other people. You can't do that if you're a victim, right? Because if you're a victim, everybody's there to take something from you. You can't do that if you're a victim because all your energy, you don't have any energy to give to anybody else because it's all spent inward. But he's free now to give his gifts to these dudes in in slavery and in prison he can he can serve the purpose of God I've gotten ahead this will be the third to serve others if God is king then I'm free live free say amen if that resonates with you One last thing, and we're not going to take just, just a second on this, because in the center of the story, you do have Potiphar's wife. So he's in the pit, and now he's in the palace. We say that, he's, that it's the temptation of Joseph. But I want you to, when you go back and read this, I, I want you to notice he's not tempted. Not that he's weird. You know, got a naked lady over there. I mean, it's. <laughs> but he's not tempted. This isn't the temptation of, of Joseph. It's the attempted seduction of Joseph. That fails miserably. She miscalculated. <laughs> this is why she gets so mad. Because she's used to, to dealing with victims. Can only seduce someone. Can only seduce someone who's a victim. Who, in their mind and heart, they don't have a king on the throne. If Joseph, if his primary thing, I would, let me get this to you. 
if the primary goal of his life was always to get out of the pit, then in the palace, his primary goal would have been to stay out. Because God can't be king there. God's not present there. If your primary goal is always to get out, claw your way out, all of your energy, and once you're out, you've said it. I know you've said it. I'll never, I will never, I will never go back there. If that was, if that was him in the palace, you know what he would have done? He would have been. Seduction only works for somebody who doesn't have someone on the throne. Jesus is on the throne. Wherever you are, if you can't find the present kingship of God in the pit, you will not experience him in the palace. Someone will always be looking to usurp your throne. Life-changing. So, I'm going to land on this, because I don't know where you are. You, you, you might be in the palace, you might be in prison, pit, I, I don't know. It doesn't matter. That's real, what I want you to hear. It does not matter. There's not a whole bunch of things. There's one thing for you to get. It search for one thing no matter where you are. I need to experience become fully aware of the present kingship of God. Every, every scripture you read, every song you sing, every book that you search out should be singularly on that. I need to be more aware of the present kingship of God. That's it. So I'm going to give you a life hack to end with. We love hacks. Home improvement hacks. This is my favorite. That's the only reason why I look at Facebook anymore. I'm looking, it's like, oh, 25 things that Amazon's selling that's going to change the way I wash dishes. <laughs> a life hack. I will give Dave Rhodes credit for part of this because I, I've benefited from a phrase that he used. He said, who would you be if you were, how would you act? What would you look like if you were really confident? How do confident people act? He says, and when you don't feel confident, act like that guy. <laughs> How would you act if you're in the pit or in the prison right now? How would you act if you truly believed that God were present and he were king and he had good things for you? Zoom in on that face, the face that you had to, even if you have to imagine what that time when you felt good. What did you do? How did you act? How did you, how did you treat the people around you? I'm going to say, I don't want you to pretend, but I, this is what faith is. Faith is applying the truth of God in obedience to your present circumstances. So you look at that, if God were, if God had good things for me in this place, what would I look like? How would I act? How would I, what would he want me to do? In an obedience, claim that faith and be that person. Practice, my favorite concepts, favorite old, old, old books, practice, begin to practice the presence of God right where you are. I'm going to ask the band to come up as we're 
moving into into communion, which is so relevant, I think. So land on that hack. Land on it. Let, let that step out. The present kingship of God. I think with... Here, let me grab this. I think the... There's lots of things with communion, but the, uh, the institution of the Lord's Supper is relevant to, to this, to what we've just learned, because on the night that, and I want us all, everybody to take communion, we, we always do, but I want to say it out loud, take communion today, and I want to let this guide you. On the night that Jesus would institute the Lord's Supper with his disciples, he was literally standing on the precipice looking over a cliff. He had everything. People following him, a successful ministry, good friends. <laughs> and knew that tomorrow everything changes. Click, 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 click. And he sat around, knew this with his disciples. What they're about to go through, there's one thing that's most important for them. They need to be with me. Because the presence of Jesus changes everything. So the institution of the Lord's Supper, and I want this, let me guide you through this real quick before you emerge and, and experience this together. That you have the bread of the Lord's Supper, bread of life. And the bread of life, Jesus handed it. They touched their, his fingers to theirs and they dipped in the bowl together. They were, they were present. The bread of life is meant to convey to you lots of things, but one thing for today, that he is present with you. He's just as real today. No matter where you are. We don't, I don't know where you are. No matter where you are, he is just as real as the bread is. And he wants you to feel this. Hear him say, I am present. And say that, he is present. Say it again. And the juice, he says to his disciples, is the blood of the covenant, the cup of the covenant, in his blood. He is present. He will keep his promise. Say that with me. He'll keep his promise. As you take communion this morning, he is present. He is king. He has the power to keep his promise, friends. As you touch, as you take, well, I want to hear it. Let's hear it. I want to hear some whispers. I want two things from you as you take communion. To say that to yourself. He is present. He will keep his promise. And as you make your way back to your seat or as you're interacting with people, look them in the eyes and say, he is present. He will keep his promise. Would you stand with me? Say those words. He is present. He's present. He will keep his promise. Lord Jesus, you have the power to keep your, your promise in the truth that will you descend this on us today, that you are here. You are here. You have great things for us, your people.
and you have the power to bring those great things about. Will you do those things? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.